Hey, Ian Malaysia family, Pastor Josh here from Ian Singapore. So glad to kind of get to talk to you. I started to say see you. Of course, I'm not seeing you, but by faith, I'm there with you in the presence of God. And uh, Pastor Tim, just want to honor his leadership there in Puchong and Pastor Sean and all the other great leaders uh, in our church there. Uh, also, a special shout out to Penang, even though I don't know if you're listening, but uh, Ian Penang, Pastor GP. Of course, I was there with Pastor GP for a couple years and so thankful for Ian Miyok and their, their fellowship, their friendship, their leadership uh, in our churches. But particularly Pastor Tim, I want to thank because I work with Pastor Tim pretty closely now as part of the region. Uh, we, we work together, we encourage one another, we strategize together. And Pastor Tim gave us a great message recently at our EN Build Southeast Asia. Just want to appreciate, Pastor Tim, you for that word. Uh, and the word focused on three W's. And I think those three W's were were partially, two of them were unexpected to me. One was quite a surprise. So he talked about worship, which for believers in Jesus Christ, certainly we, worship is something we talk about a lot. And I wasn't surprised to hear the word uh, worship. But now his second point talked about wholeness. And that surprised me. And then he went on to witness. Now, witness makes total sense to me. We're every nation. Go and make disciples of all nations. Be a witness to all nations. All those kind of things. Uh, so it made a lot of sense. But this second word, wholeness, took me by surprise quite a bit. Uh, I was processing this. What is Pastor Tim getting at with this idea of wholeness? And then I was wondering, does wholeness have anything, any kind of interaction with the idea of worship uh, or the idea of witness? Are these three connected? Is there some value to thinking of these three elements of our Christian journey uh, as kind of one goal or one purpose or one vision? And so this is something I was kind of wrestling with as he shared, and it was really challenging me. And as I prayed about it, as I thought about it, uh, I was pondering the book of Haggai, which is in the Old Testament. Haggai is called a minor prophet just because it's short, uh, but he's prophesying after people are returning from uh, what's called the Babylonian captivity sometimes. 587, uh, the, the people in uh, Jerusalem were taken captive by Babylon, and now they're returning. It's roughly 520 BC, almost 70 years later, uh, and Haggai begins to prophesy to this group of people. Now, they had returned to rebuild the temple, but currently that wasn't happening. And so here's what he says to them. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day, so very specific moment, the word of the Lord came. Worship, wholeness, witness, start, I believe, with the word of the Lord. We need God to show up, God's presence, God's power, God's purpose. He begins to speak that. In this case, it comes, how does it come very, by a very specific way? Through a prophetic voice to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, who's the high priest at the time. And it says a specific thing. Now, before we go any further, I want to just ask a couple questions. Who are you listening to right now? Are you listening to God or are we listening to something else? How is God speaking to you? We want to talk about that. How do we know it's God or not? Uh, you know, I, I joked with someone that every message I ever speak is hear God and obey. At the end of the day, all I'm asking you to do is, hey, what is God saying? Are you obeying it? One of the real challenges of that is, well, what if I'm not sure what God's saying? Because there's people who deceive us. Bible talks about false prophets coming in. Does that mean that all prophets are false? No. If you have false prophets, it probably means there's true prophets. If you have counterfeit money, it's probably because there's real money somewhere. Uh, and so there's voices that come to us, but how is God speaking? And what is God actually saying? Now, what I love about the book of Hebrews is he starts to describe how God speaks to us now. God, who spoke at various times in various ways, prophet Haggai was one example, in the past of the fathers, mostly by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. How do I know God speaking in a situation? 
I can look to Jesus. This is Del Greco's version of Jesus. Does it honor Jesus? Is it consistent with how Jesus lived and taught? Is it something that's faithful to Jesus's message, right? So example, Jesus was never married. Does that mean none of us get married? No, because what he taught was it's good. Uh, man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and those two will become one flesh. And what God has joined together, let no one separate. So that's what Jesus said about it. He didn't live that because he didn't get married in, in, in earth, because eventually we know at the end times that the church and Jesus are like a bride and a groom coming together. Uh, but on the earth, he taught that it was good for a man and a woman to be married and monogamous in that union that God put together. So we look to Jesus' teaching. We look to Jesus' life. We look to the question, does what I'm about to hear or say or do honor Jesus? If it doesn't, then it's probably not Jesus I'm hearing. I might be hearing another voice. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts saying, this people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. In other words, the people are going to say all kinds of things. Right now, a lot of people are going to tell you it's the wrong time to do a lot of things. Oh, we've got COVID. We've got this issue. We've got that issue. There's uh, concerns in our world. It's not time. Voices will constantly scream at you and say this and say that. Social media will scream at you. All kinds of things will scream at you. So the real challenge is, am I going to listen to the screaming? Am I going to listen to the noise? Or am I going to listen to God? So the word of the Lord comes to Haggai and he says, and this is what's critical. It's the word of the Lord. It's not Haggai's word. It's not Haggai's opinion. It's the word of the Lord. So what does it say? Is it time for you to dwell in paneled houses and the temple to lie in ruins? Now, therefore, and I love what he says. Here's what God challenges the people. Consider your ways. One of the biggest mistakes I've made in life is not taking sufficient time for reflection. To slow down long enough to think about what's really going on in my mind, in my heart, in my emotions, in my soul. And then you act out of or speak out of or respond out of something other than what God says. And you're really speaking out of your circumstances or your feelings or, or some other issue. And that can be incredibly dangerous for us. So he challenges the people. Hey, reflect, consider your ways. Here are the current ways they're living. You've sown much, but you bring in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourself but no one's warm and you earn wages, but you earn them to put it in bags with holes. In other words, nothing's satisfying, nothing's fulfilling, nothing's producing the way I hoped it would. So thus says the Lord, consider your way. So he doubled down on, let's reflect on this. Let's think about what's really happening. You know, sometimes when I'm struggling, the last thing I want to do is consider my ways. The last thing I want to do is slow down long enough for God to really speak to me. I want to avoid it. I want to get busy with anything else so that I don't have to consider what's really going on because I don't like what's going on. So now he's challenging them twice. Slow down. Consider your way. Reflect on what's really happening. I love how the New Living Test, uh, uh, Testament, I guess is the way to say it, uh, uh, translates or interprets uh, Haggai 1.4. It says it this way. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? Why this is important to me is this. The people he's describing as eating but not having enough, drinking but not being filled, clothing themselves but not being warm, are people who had enough money for luxurious houses. They're, it's not because they didn't have provision. It's not because they didn't have any resources. It's that they're focused on their own houses, their own luxurious houses, their own needs, their own stuff, rather than God's house. That's incredibly dangerous. Here's what I found. When I'm focused on myself, I'll always be focused on the scarcity. I'll always be focused on the lack. I'll always be focused on what I don't have. When I get focused on God, it's amazing how 
the rest of my life seems so full and rich and enjoyable. Why is it so? Because what you prioritize is really what you worship. If I'm more focused on my own stuff than God's stuff, the reality is I prioritize myself over God. Your worship is really what do you prioritize? And so he challenges these people, hey, go up to the mountains. In other words, get out of your normal life. Get out of what you're doing now. Go bring wood. Go get provisions. Go get resources and invest them in the temple. Invest them in God's priority. Invest them in what God's doing. Hey, God's answer to you is get back to work. Remember what you used to do when you first got saved, how you'd pray and seek my face, how you'd read your word and study it and, and desire to know me, how you'd share your faith with, with your friends in a loving way. Now that's not happening. So, hey, get back to work. That's what he says. So he can take pleasure and be glorified. So these guys hear that and they obey the voice of the Lord their God. I love that truth. The first response, what do we do when we've kind of gotten off track? Our priorities are confused. True worship is prioritizing God. So true worship is prioritizing his purpose, obeying the voice of the Lord. So we'll obey his purpose. Then it goes in to say, and the people feared the presence of the Lord. Now, that word fear can confuse us sometimes. It has the idea of honor, the idea of reverence, the idea that this is important. And so it says that they feared the presence of the Lord. In other words, hey, I don't, I don't want to do anything that disrupts God's presence from my house, from my life, from our, our, our community here. In their case, in, the, in, the, in where Haggai's prophesying, it's a remnant returning, as I've mentioned, uh, to Jerusalem from Babylon. The way that they would honor or reverence the presence of the Lord is to rebuild the temple because that's where his presence tangibly abode. It, it lived there. And so now they're coming back into that community. And if you're building your own house, what it's saying is, I don't really care if we have the presence of God or not. I just want my own thing. So now he's saying, no, get back about my purpose. Obey me get back about my presence, honor me. And then he goes on to say this, he gives them a promise. I am with you, says the Lord. So when we have God's priority, our true worship, he's our focus point, we'll be focused on God's purpose, God's presence. And then we receive what's awesome, God's promise that he'll be with us in the journey. So it says that now the spirit of God starts stirring them up. Isn't that exciting? God's very spirit is now stirring them and they're getting back to work. And the spirit and all the remnant of the people came and they all worked. So there's this rallying cry. There's this unity. They've spoken to Pastor Tim. They've spoken to Pastor Sean. They've spoken to whatever other leader, your life group leader, your small group leader. And now all the people are saying, oh, yeah, let's get back about focusing on God. Let's get back about building God's temple. Well, what does it look like? to work on the temple in our world, in our society, in our, our current time with the Lord, in our current interaction with Jesus. Uh, we don't go build big buildings necessarily. What does it look like to build the temple? Well, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and you're not your own? So my very body, God comes and dwells in us. Now, does that just mean, you know, go work out and get really jacked? I don't think that's what he's talking about here. We can talk about what it looks like to honor God in your body. But he goes on to say this in Romans 12, 1, he describes it this way. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. You know what a temple is? Temple is the place where the sacrifice was given. So now he's saying, hey, you present your life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your reasonable service or your reasonable worship. The way we worship God practically in action. Uh, the word service there is latreu, which can be, uh, can be translated to serve, can also be translated in some context, worship. It's honoring God with action. It's different than, than proskuneo, which is worshiping God by like bowing down and, and worshiping what we might think of as like when we sing praises to God or when we sing worship to God or when we honor him with our voice. This is a living sacrifice. It's an action worship. 
He says, that's what your body's for, to worship God in action, living for God. Basically, go where he says to go, do what he says to do, say what he says to say. Go obey God. That's our call. That's our destiny. And don't be conformed to this world. It's very tempting to just do what everybody else is doing. Now, I'm not a contrarian for contrarian's sake. Just because a lot of people are doing one thing doesn't mean it's good or bad. I don't, but I don't want to be conformed to the image of this world. What is the image of this world? Focus on self. Uh, I was watching uh, American football recently. My family's invested in in this. Pro, uh, what do you call it? Like a like a program where we're allowed to watch the football games. You have to subscription. That's what I'm looking for. Subscription. And we have this uh, watching these uh, American football games, and we also watch the commercials. And my, and and my daughter likes the commercials more than the game. And there's all these funny commercials, but what's interesting about a lot of the commercials, they keep saying the same thing. You're worth it. You deserve the best. You deserve more. There was one commercial, it kept saying, you deserve more. That's a sad way to live. Because if I'm constantly thinking I deserve more, then no matter what I have, I go, oh, it's not enough. I deserve more. Oh, you have this much. Okay, well, but I deserve more. Oh, you have this much. Yeah, but I deserve more. And when you live your life focused on that way, if you're conforming to that mindset, you'll always live feeling dissatisfied and feeling like you're not getting enough. I deserve more. Uh, we used to joke, gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy, right? So like, no matter what I have, I want more. That's not God's intention for us. His intention is for us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That way we may prove or test or learn what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Well, where does that come from? That's why we have community. When I talk about working on the temple, uh, we talk about four behaviors here at our church in Singapore. Pray, talk to God, meditate on his word. Because Psalm 1 says, if I meditate on his word day and night, I'll be like a tree planted by streams of water. I'll yield fruit in season and whatever I do will prosper. That sounds like building something that God would honor. That sounds like the wholeness Pastor Tim described. Um, then we talk about proclaiming, uh, proclaiming to ourselves and others the good news of Jesus. He has these promises. Are we proclaiming them? Uh, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead three days later to show he had conquered death, conquered hell, conquered sin, and could offer forgiveness and new life to anyone who believed in him. Do we proclaim that to our friends? Do we proclaim that to our family in a loving way? Fellowship, are we building meaningful relationships? And ultimately, this temple is not just about the person God's building. My body, Josh Harris's body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Crazy. Wow, God lives with me but I'm not the only temple of the Holy Spirit. And when we come together, each little temple, everyone who Jesus has saved, he comes and lives in us. Now these little temples get joined together. In him, the whole building is joined together. Is the building stones and wood and all? No, this temple that rises to become a holy temple in the Lord, he describes it when we're joined together relationally. In him, you two, we're being built together, us as a people. Your church in Ian, Malaysia, our church in Ian, Singapore, Ian, Penang, uh, Ian in Indonesia, uh, Ian in all the different nations. We're being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. God's very spirit comes and dwells in us. And that is God's plan. God's plan for building his temple. They face the challenges there of how do I build this temple? We now today face a new plan of God of how he's building a temple. It's not a temple made with human hands, wood and stone and all these things. It's a person who submits themselves to Jesus as Jesus, you're my Lord. He comes and lives in them. It's a people joined together by, by the same spirit that saved the one, saves the many, and then connects them together. And that becomes the place where God dwells. His plan 
for his place is actually his community, his people. God's plan for God's place is God's people. And it starts individually as a person. Each one of us matters. That's why you matter. If you've ever wondered, oh, I don't really matter. Every stone matters. Every person matters in this building. Calls us living stones. Each person matters. If you've ever had one piece of brick or something out of place in a wall you're building, it'll matter. It'll matter. Trust me, it'll matter. So God is building a building that's whole. It takes it one person at a time, one people at a time. That becomes a place where his spirit dwells with us. Now, when you're building according to God's plan, God's part doesn't mean there's not going to be any problems. And in fact, they run into a problem later. And so Haggai comes again and the word of the Lord comes again and he speaks again. And there's a way he speaks and there's a timing to what he speaks. And he says this, he says, speaks to those same people. Here's what he says. Who is left among you who saw the temple in its former glory? You remember how church used to be? You remember how your passion for God used to be? You remember all these great breakthroughs we used to have? Do you remember those stories of revival that we read about in other scriptures and other places and other cities and other times? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is it not as nothing in your eyes? It's an interesting statement he's making. This is one of the biggest challenges you'll face if you really want to serve God. If you want to be a worshiper who's seeking wholeness, and eventually to be a witness to the whole world, is that there's moments where you're trying to build and rebuild, and it doesn't seem like how it used to be. In fact, these people have now come back into Jerusalem. And if you'll see on this graph, the entire area, most of Jerusalem is now uninhabited. And they're in a very small little section, and the temple is ruined, and it's not rebuilt yet. So imagine he's speaking to these people, and he goes, you remember the old temple, right? And some of them remembered this temple that was so beautiful and Solomon had so much gold and so much silver. They had so much bronze, they quit even trying to count it. They just said, oh, there's all this bronze. And it was adorned beautifully. And now you're coming back to that place and it's broken down. And as I was thinking about this, I was remembering like, I don't know if you're like me, but you take a season and you're not really in good shape and you haven't been working out. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, I'm going to play basketball or I'm going to get myself back in shape. And you go try to do things you've done before, years before, and now it looks kind of like this. This body doesn't work. You know, my mind is still willing, but my flesh is super weak. I can't do the things I used to do. And there's a frustration there. And the temptation is just to quit because the temptation is to say, man, it's never going to be like it used to be. The church is never going to grow the way it used to grow. The, the buildings are never going to be as big as they used to be. The, the impact we've made is never going to be as big as the impact used to be. And so what does he speak to him? He says, look, you need to be strong, Zerubbabel. Leader, be strong. Priest, be strong. People, be strong. All of us need to be strong and all of us need to work. He doesn't start with, hey, don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be great. It's so tempting in this season to be passive. It's so tempting in this season to go, well, it's never going to be like it used to be. I believe the spirit of God is coming to us and challenging us. Be strong, be strong, be strong and work. Now, be strong is very different than just, hey, work out and grab big stones and put them on buildings and build a building. I don't think that's what God's saying to us. But he's saying in our souls, in our emotions, in our health, in our faith, in our hope, are we able to be strong? And then he says this, according to the word I covenanted with you. So, boy, that's a hard word to say. God made a covenant with you. That should give you encouragement. He made this covenant with the children of Israel as they left out of Egypt. He said this, my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. How can I be strong when things are so challenging? How can I be strong when I'm disappointed of the way things turned out? 
How can I be strong when I'm trying to rebuild things that were built a long time ago and shouldn't even be torn down and now they're torn down? How do I be strong? Through God's spirit. That's the only way you're going to be strong. You're not going to be strong in your own strength, but you can not fear. You can choose to not fear and you can choose to be strong because God's spirit remains among us. And this is what the Lord says. In a little while, I will shake the heavens. I will shake the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and what is desired by all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. I love that because what that says is God has a plan. God knows how this is gonna happen. To tell you the truth, none of us know fully how this is gonna happen. I love Pastor Tim, but he doesn't know any more than I do exactly uh, where conditions in any nation, conditions in the world, health conditions. We can't control natural disasters. I don't know, whatever else is out there. There's all kinds of things that might happen that we have no control over. But one thing we do know, we have a Lord who's almighty and he has a plan. And his plan here was, I'm gonna shake things. And when you feel shaking, you might think, oh, God's, where's God, man? Things are shaking. No, that's part of my plan. Because when I shake, things will come to me. Things will seek God. Things will seek that place of power. They'll seek that place of peace. They'll seek that place where prayer can happen for all nations. And they'll fill his house with glory. Not only that, he'll have provision for you. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Does that mean it's all about money? Not at all. What it's about is God has all the provision I'll ever need. So whether I have lots of finances and God's asking me to be a good steward of that, or whether I have very limited finances, but God's asking me to have faith, to believe for increase and to believe for provision, God is the one ultimately who has the silver, has the gold, has everything we need to do everything he's called us to do. Uh, when I was really young, I had a guy tell me the provision, pro for, for the vision. If you're about God's vision, his provision will always find you. He has resources for his purpose and for his plan. So if you get aligned to his purpose, you get aligned to his plan. If you're in worshiping, he, worship, right? His, he's the priority. And you align to that, his provision is going to come to you. And here's his promise. It's a powerful promise. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. Now, if you saw this, he releases this second promise. If you saw the first temple with all the gold and silver and all those things of Solomon, and you saw what you were building now, you'd go, there's no way that's true. We're not even using near the same amount of materials. We're not using near the same quality of materials. How can it be true that this later house will be greater than the former house? What are you even talking about? Well, he explains it to me in this way. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. You want to talk about wholeness? That's that word shalom, complete wellness, totality of wholeness, um, true rest, true success. You want to define prosperity. A lot of people, oh, are you a prosperity preacher? Are you this? To me, true health, true happiness, true peace, true prosperity, they center around this idea where God has made me whole. I have a purpose. I have peace. I have people. I have friends. I have family. I have connection. I have life. He says, I'm going to give you that kind of shalom wholeness in this place. That's glory. That's beautiful. That's what God wants to build. Imagine a community where there's general, general and genuine acceptance, love, hope, joy, all the things God describes as love in the fruit of the spirit, patience, all this goodness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness, all that's happening in our midst. Wow, that sounds like glory to me. So he says, and now carefully consider from this day forward. See, he keeps talking about considering, reflecting, thinking from the day before the stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord. So they hadn't started building, right? 
Since those days, when one came to a heap of 20 ephahs, they were only 10. When one came to a wine vat to draw out 50 baths, there was only 20. In other words, before we started reprioritizing to the kingdom, rebuilding foundations, refocusing on worship, wholeness, witness. But when we started doing other stuff, notice there was continual lack in all these areas. I struck you with blight and mildew and hail and the labors of your hand, yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. Um, there was one commentator who talked about some of these words that he's choosing are actually references to the curses in Deuteronomy that were given if someone didn't obey the law. What was the law? Love God and seek him first. Have no other God before him. Have no idols. See, when you're focused on yourself, you've become an idol against God. So now he's saying, look, you didn't turn to me. And that's why all this lack, that's why your investments aren't producing the way you thought they would, because you're focused on the wrong thing. You're deprioritized. Now he says, consider again from this day forward. So now there's a new consideration, starting with this new start. And that's what I love about Jesus so much. We always have a new start. Starting from now, from this day forward, and he gives the exact date of when, when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. When I've rebuilt that foundation, that foundation of worship, of seeking first Jesus, his kingdom and his righteousness so that everything else can be added to me. Consider it. Is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have not yielded fruit. In other words, you're building this foundation and you don't see much yet. I don't know if you've ever built your own home or been around. When I lived in Manila, Philippines in 2005, we lived next door to where they were rebuilding a skyscraper. The entire year we were there, they were just digging down and putting in rebar and different items. And it looked, it looked like you would just go down into a bottomless pit forever. Um, they were building up, building up, building up foundation for over a year. And you saw nothing. If you look from the surface above, there was nothing. There was no fruit. There was no vine. There's no. But when you built the foundation, this is what he says. But from this day, once there's a foundation of worship, I can begin to bless you. I really believe God sent me here to tell you this. He wants to bless you as a church. Sometimes we don't want to be blessed because we think, oh, you know, I don't want to be someone who is all about material blessings or financial blessings. Or We tend to think of blessings as those things. I want to encourage you. We need to be blessed by God. When God blesses, he adds no sorrow with it. It brings true happiness, true prosperity, true fullness, true wholeness. When it's from God, when it's for us and when it's self-focused, yeah, it can be a danger. Honestly, when you get financially blessed, it becomes a stewardship and it can be a temptation to divert you from God. But when you've built a foundation where I'm here to worship, I'm a worshiper, that's the foundation of my life. I'm here to do what God says to do, go where God says to go, say what God says to say. That's my foundation. Now he can begin to bless you. Why does he want to bless you? Because God is able to make all grace, his power, his provision, his ability abound toward you. That you always having, I love that, always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance. You know why God wants to bless you? So you can have an abundance. Oh, for yourself, so you can get fat and lazy. Oh, an abundance so I can build a bigger storehouse and just sit back and eat, drink, and be merry. No, we have Proverbs tell us don't do that. Proverbs that came from the mouth of Jesus. No, he wants to give us an abundance for something. For what? Every good work. God doesn't want you to have a good work in your heart, but you don't have the provision, the energy, the time, the whatever it might be for it. He wants you to have an abundance so that you can have something for every good work. That's how he wants to bless you. So what did I say today? I said that worship is essential. It's the priority. It's the foundation. It's the building block. That worship 
and wholeness are tied together, that what we see from the book of Haggai is that as the people reprioritized on God, on his kingdom, on his temple, on his presence, on his purpose, that God began to release blessing to them. The blessing of purpose, the blessing of provision, the, ple- the blessing of direction, the blessing of a clear plan, a clear promise. And eventually that that was going to be a witness to the whole nation, that the whole world, all the nation was going to come and the glory was going to fill God's presence. Glory was going to be in God's temple, that the whole world would see that God is good. What I believe God is speaking to us as a church and in Malaysia, I believe he's speaking to you in particular. As we reprioritize worship, being focused on Jesus, focused on his love, focused on his goodness, it will result in wholeness, in shalom, in peace, in an abundance of his peace, in your relationships, in your own soul, in your connections, in your life. And that wholeness is going to be the primary witness to a world that's desperately in search of God. I truly believe this, that what people are looking for, they don't know it's Jesus yet normally, but they see the peace in your life. They see the health of your relationships. They see the love. And I'm not saying we're perfect. None of us are perfect. Sometimes they see the brokenness that we're working through, but they see that we're working through it with hope. They see that we're working through it with joy. They see that we're working through it with peace. As we become prioritized in worship of God, he begins to release his shalom in us, his peace, his hope, his provision, his prosperity. That becomes a witness to the whole world, a witness to the nations that he's good and that his love endures forever. He says of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And that's what we're part of, increasing, releasing, helping his peace go to the world to help those who are hurting and broken. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you for Ian Malaysia. I thank you for Pastor Tim Teresa, their family, the JLos. Lord, I thank you for them. I thank you for all the blessing they're being and how you're getting ready to even uh, release them like seeds to the nation that'll produce harvests. And so, Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for this church. Um, Thank you for all the great leaders who are working uh, in front and working behind to see your kingdom come and see your will be done. I pray as they reprioritize the temple of their own soul, their prayer, their meditating on your word, their building their own life with you, uh, that God, you would begin to release shalom. You'd begin to release wholeness. You'd begin to release peace into them. And that wholeness, uh, through different means in different ways and some of the great things Pastor Tim's doing and others are doing, not just, I keep saying Pastor Tim because I know him, but others, so many in that church that are building ways to build mental health, build emotional health, build spiritual health, build relational health. All those different factors will come together and people will see, oh, ultimately, it's all that temple. Those relationships are like a temple that point people to Jesus and it becomes a witness to the nations. So God, for that, we give you, because you're the one who does it, all the glory and all the honor, and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, family, if we're uh, here and you're a life group leader and you're wanting to have a time of discussion after the service, I wanted to give a couple questions for you guys to discuss. So the first one is this one. It says this, how do you listen to God in practical ways? I mentioned in the Old Testament, right? Prophets would come and they'd know it's a word from the Lord. Well, now you have prophetic voices, some false prophets, you have other issues. So how do we really listen to God? How do we know that it's God speaking? How do we wrestle with those issues together as a church community? What are some ways we can build the temple in our lives? What are the ways we honor God, focus, refocus on worship in our own lives? Do you believe God wants to bless you? Why or why not? Maybe you're saying, no, I really don't think he does. Well, why? Why not? Why would he bless you? Why wouldn't he? Let's talk about this as a family and pray that God will show us 
what he wants to speak to us as our family. God bless you. Have a great week.